Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi there, and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. Um, this week I'm going to do something slightly different. I'm going to look at the story of John Lennon in New York between 1970 and 1980, uh, when he was uh, assassinated outside his home in Manhattan. I think the value of um, looking at John Lennon in this period um is that he's obviously a pivotal cultural figure, really, of the 20th century itself. Um, And also, he, um, during this period of time, has various um, flirtations with radical politics uh, in the USA and becomes kind of not necessarily the first... um, you know, extremely high-profile entertainer and musician to embrace um, politics, uh, particularly radical politics, and certainly not the first in the 1960s, but perhaps the the most famous. And his involvement with um, this kind of um, uh, politics of the counterculture um, is uh, from time to time both sincere and um, superficial. There are elements of profound naivety, but also uh, real idealism to it um, as well. Um, the extent to which any of his efforts could be said to have made any meaningful difference or to have challenged kind of Nixon's um, conservative republicanism uh, throughout the period of time that um, he, of, of the early 1970s is probably quite doubtful. Anyway, John Lennon uh, left the UK to settle in New York finally in 1971, but between 69 and 70 he'd had uh, various visits to um, America. Um, he had uh, become an adherent of uh, primal scream therapy in California, um, a particular aspect of psychotherapy which involves uh, 
the letting out of the kind of raw pain and emotion uh, repressed from childhood. I mean, it's not the kind of thing that psychotherapists particularly swear by these days, uh, except perhaps those that really aren't slightly more on the, the radical fringes of psychotherapeutic practice. But back then it was generally it was accepted uh, by primal screamers that this was a way of exercising pain, particularly the uh, pain of um, abandonment in John Lennon's early childhood by his mother and father, and then again the loss of his mother when he was a teenage boy. And on the uh, the first uh, solo album that John Lennon put out, the Plastic Ono Band, there are various references to um, Mother, in fact even the song Mother, um, and again, I think this is this is interesting. If you're looking at this from a social and cultural histor- history point of view, um, that certain periods of time, certain um, ways of thinking about individuals, about the mind, about mental health, about childhood, um, and about trauma, uh, become uh, dominant. Um, you only need to look at uh, the case of Marilyn Monroe and her psychoanalyst Ralph Greenson back in the 1950s and early 1960s um, and the fact that um, psychoanalysis then was seen as a kind of a holy grail or the, or the kind of the, the magic bullet to uh, cure uh, all manner of sort of suffering and dysfunction and that kind of, of thing and it was really the, the death of Marilyn Monroe that finally began to pose serious challenges uh, culturally and uh, popularly to psychoanalysis. But anyway, we, we kind of get off the point here slightly, um, because America was fast becoming a home to John Lennon, and there were, um, as the uh, music historian Ian MacDonald points out in his great book, The People's Music, so there were kind of two John Lennons. There was Britain's John Lennon, and America's John, and America's John really kind of emerges from 1970 onwards. And the American John Lennon was far more um, open, far more capable of being the kind of the radical counterculturalist um, and anarchist as he saw himself uh, that, that he wanted to be. Um, in Britain, he was uh, outspoken at certain times, but more known for his kind of acerbic wit, his um, kind of rather sometimes quite unpleasant attitude, um, and then for his his actual politics. Uh, John Lennon's politics were those quite typical sometimes of uh, musicians, um, you know, not necessarily kind of schooled in particular uh, arguments, theories or dialectics, but um, in kind of broader and more kind of romantic notions. One of the points that Ian MacDonald makes quite rightly is that um, even at a time where we have things like Occupy or uh, various celebrities um, enunciating uh, different kind of causes um, that we we have today, um, the extent to which um, countercultural thinking was de jure uh, for an entire generation of, particularly of of American teenagers and young people, as opposed necessarily to, to Britain, 
Um, the American counterculture was always a much, much bigger, much more sophisticated, much more radical and much more widespread um, entity than it was in the United Kingdom. Um, the idea that a rock star would speak out uh, about the uh, iniquities of capitalism, imperialism, um, racism uh, and other, other kind of key radical debates of the day, this was pretty accepted and standard stuff. Um, we have a very much, much watered-down version of this these days. You know, perhaps the likes of Chris Martin from Coldplay having uh, stickers saying fair trade. You know, it's not really quite the same thing. This is still the age where one could put a poster of Che Guevara on the wall and it's not seen in, in an ironic light at all. John Lennon um, was later quite famous for his uh, advocacy of um, the IRA, um, again, which kind of raises questions about uh, much of what he wrote in Imagine in terms of, you know, uh, peace and, and that kind of thing. Uh, but we'll come to that in a moment. So much of his um, initial um, more political music is uh, a result of Two conflicts. The Biafran conflict, part of the Nigerian Civil War, which uh, Britain was providing some of the arms for, and also, the, obviously, the Vietnam War. So, um, Give Peace a Chance in 1969, and Instant Karma, uh, his, uh, two of his early solo album, solo um, singles, um, were uh, directly... Um, uh, directly sort of uh, themed towards these conflicts. Um, the uh, famous bed in um, in Montreal in 1969 was, uh, as far as John Lennon was concerned, um, a, a meaningful political protest. He and Yoko took to their bed for a week and put up posters around the room saying, give peace a chance and words to that effect. And uh, a crowd of admirers and the press corps came to um, observe what was going on. A great uh, many of the press, perhaps quite rightly, treated it as a, a piece of spectacle uh, without any real substance behind it. And John Lennon um, was trying to make a kind of a, a broader point about um, how the you know. If we all took to our beds, in essence, perhaps the Vietnam War would grind to a halt tomorrow. Um, you know, taking things to their absurd in order to satirise them and make kind of a serious point about it, and so on and so forth. Um, and the use of billboards um, around New York um, with slogans such as Merry Christmas, War is Over If You Want It, uh, from John and Yoko, uh, well, these are very encouraging um, notions that some Americans who were opposed to the Vietnam War embraced, but they did were little more than spectacle. Um, the reality was that um, America was divided between, not between those that wanted the war and those that didn't, but those that um, wanted to withdraw from Vietnam right away um, and 
cut the country's losses, and those that wanted to withdraw from Vietnam um, gradually and slowly, so it didn't look like a, a defeat. And there were um, now a, the fourth American president to have grappled with the problem of Vietnam, Richard Nixon, was now in the White House and um, having to really take on board the legacy of his predecessor's mistakes and had, you know, a difficult, if very narrow, kind of room for manoeuvre. John Lennon had become a kind of a magnet at this phase for uh, the countercultural elite, uh, particularly Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin um, of the Youth International Party, um, believed that John Lennon would really uh, make a considerable difference to their their movement, which is obviously a minority uh, fringe um, political group, really almost at the, on the fringes of the the kind of the anti-Vietnam War movement itself, anyway. Um, and they were perhaps more attracted uh, to John Lennon's fame and his charisma. Um, he famously, you know, kind of rather naive outpouring on a chat show, said that um, Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin had always wanted to be rock stars and he and Yoko had always wanted to be anarchists. And so there was a great deal of, of crossover there. But the thing that should always be maintained is that John Lennon's... Pol- a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Political activism was reasonably short-lived and um, was in many ways carried out when it was convenient for him. And this had followed something of a pattern, really, with uh, John Lennon um, earlier on in in his life in the mid-1960s on the famous trip to India to uh, study with the Maharishi. John Lennon had really tolerated uh, Eastern religion and uh, Hinduism um, for as long as he, he felt he, he needed to or wanted to, and then really quite, quite mocked and derided it. Um, it just so happened that the Maharishi was unfortunately rather corrupt and interested in the Beatles' money. Um, and um, the Beatle who really 
embraces Eastern uh, spirituality eventually is obviously George Harrison. So John Lennon was quite known for his kind of dabbling in, in these, these sorts of things. And um, somebody of his degree of egotism and kind of narcissism was perhaps always an unlikely revolutionary, um, unable to, you know, most revolutionaries of metal who continue on for many, many years are able to subsume themselves to the cause. Though then again, you do have a great many egomaniacs amongst them. I think most interestingly in John Lennon's uh, New York years is the 1972 album Sometime in New York City, which is a really interesting document, uh, not just of John Lennon himself, but of the kind of the, the radical trends of the time. Um, the uh, track on the album John Sinclair is dedicated to the manager of the band MC5 and the and hippie poet and anarchist John Sinclair who was um, arrested and given a 10-year jail sentence for the possession of two, uh, two joints um, which he supplied to an undercover female undercover drugs officer after kind of what was clearly uh, kind of an entrapment, and the uh, the first the world heard about it was when um, the uh, uh, activist Jerry Rubin stormed the stage um, at Woodstock and announced to the crowd that. Um, John Sinclair had been arrested and there were boos and shouts because people wanted to see The Who, really. Um, a fact that I think tells us more about the counterculture and its extent than, than, than most other things. Um, the uh, appeal of uh, Woodstock was really because people wanted to go and see the music, not because they wanted to smash the system, per se. Um, anyway... John Sinclair, the uh, song, um, was uh, part of a kind of a, a campaign to free him, which is ultimately successful. Um, the extent to which John Lennon's music inspired it uh, is questionable. Um, the rest of the album, um, sometime in New York City, uh, features tracks um, dedicated to the revolutionary, black power revolutionary Angela Davis. And his feminist um, anthem, if you will, um, Woman is the Nigger of the World. Um, you know, it's admirable, I guess, but kind of clumsy. And the song had the effect of angering both feminists and black rights activists uh, in one go. Um, so it's something of a, a radical own goal, that one. Um, the album was actually never released in the UK. Um, you can obviously get it now via things like iTunes, but it was um, seen uh, in Britain uh, that you know John had kind of lost the plot somewhat and had uh, become... Um, Americanized in really uh, a particularly unique kind of way. He'd become part of the American left, and um, the, the the John Lennon that people knew um, from the UK, um, the British John Lennon was kind of absent somehow. So that album was never a success over here. Um, the radical phase lasted really until 
1973, because by this time um, the FBI had been uh, wiretapping John Lennon for some time, viewed him as a dangerous troublemaker, and even um, Richard Nixon, and this says probably more about Nixon's state of paranoia than it does about any kind of real threat that John Lennon possessed. Richard Nixon believed that uh, John Lennon was capable of um, bringing down the Nixon presidency. Obviously, by 1974, Richard Nixon had achieved this himself through the Watergate scandal. Um, So uh, I don't really think that there's much evidence to suggest that John Lennon had the power to seriously bring down the President of the United States, who had, in 1972, been elected with a landslide majority. Anyway, John Lennon um, was given an order by the US government to leave the USA in 60 days. Um, And this kind of really puts paid to his activism. It was a a not-too-subtle attempt to stop him from speaking out against the Vietnam War, Um, and and it was effective. It took Lennon three years to successfully appeal the deportation order, and he had leave to remain during that time, but he was fairly candid in saying that the government wanted him to shut up, and he liked living in New York, didn't want to go anywhere else, and decided to do do as they said. Um, now this is perhaps uh, it's perhaps unfair to uh, suggest that John Lennon was um, you know completely cynical when it came to activism. Throughout this period, he had. A, um, a, a wide and diverse range of causes from the uh, British um, execution of James Hanratty, uh, the um, convicted murderer, um, whom John Lennon believed was innocent, though subsequent DNA proof suggests otherwise, um, through to um, feminism, gay rights, um, the anti-war movement, and a range of other things, other kind of radical causes, which had kind of coalesced in the period from probably 68 to 72 uh, as a result of of the Vietnam War. Um, In the second half of the 1970s, once America's involvement in Vietnam had ended, the counterculture itself really runs out of steam. There is no draft anymore. There are no students protesting about being sent to Vietnam. Um, the Watergate scandal um, really kills off the, the kind of the, the great uh, the, the the great villain of the piece, Richard Nixon. And perhaps it is was kind of fortuitous for John Lennon that his career as a radical kind of peters out at, at this time. As it's not a phase in his career for which he's politically, critically uh, acclaimed, it's interesting that probably this um, phase of radicalism couldn't have happened if he'd have stayed in Britain. Um, It seems very unlikely that that's what would have happened. Um, The British audiences uh, were by and large not really receptive to to, uh, the politicisation of music in this way. Perhaps if Britain had involved itself in the Vietnam War, things might have been rather 
rather different. And I guess um, America had a, uh, a, a kind of a forerunner to uh, John, the, the political, politicised John Lennon in the guise of Bob Dylan in the early 60s when Bob Dylan's work was um, highly politicised before really, you know, his Christian phase and the motorcycle crash and all that. Um, so it wasn't known for there to be this kind of... Um, radical element to American pop music. Um, the fact that uh, John Lennon had a career at all in America, I guess, um, owes itself to the fact that he was based in the kind of the liberal heartlands first of California and then of uh, New York. Um, his first foray into making, making political statements in the USA had been most ill-judged um, when um, midway through a US tour in the conservative heartlands of the Midwest. He was pilloried for a, a rather throwaway remark he'd made in the Evening Standard newspaper back home in London about uh, the relevance of Christianity and the fact that rock and roll was bigger than Jesus now. And he found himself in a part of the world that begged to differ. Anyway, um, the postscript to the story, obviously, is tragically in 1980, outside the Dakota building in uh, New York, John Lennon is gunned down, and uh, various, you know, ludicrous conspiracy theories have it that it was the system, the man, you know, what have you, that, that murdered John Lennon because he spoke the truth to the masses and all this kind of kind of nonsense, really. It's not true at all. I mean, the person who killed John Lennon, Mark Chapman, was um, a paranoid schizophrenic, a man who had a kind of narcissistic attachment to uh, John Lennon and believed that it was his uh, path to fame. Um, and I suppose this is kind of understandable when you have a, a culture built on the notion of fame um, and the uh, consequences of lacking it are kind of meaning, sort of meaninglessness and anonymity. Um, the, and you know, one where firearms are freely available. Um, so, so yeah. So this is uh, the point of today, I guess, is that you know, figures like John Lennon, important cultural figures never really exist within a, a wider social, cultural and political vacuum. And you can look at this phase of his career from 1970, probably really to about 1973, and it tells us important clues about the times, because you know, people were buying these records, it was commercially viable for him to make them and to make these kind of politicised statements. So there's really a kind of a snapshot of the, of the wider... Uh, wider cultural and political trends that were coursing through America in the late nineteen, in the mid early nineteen seventies, and by the late nineteen seventies, have really kind of started to peter out. Anyway, thanks very much, and I will catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.